Welcome to Coach to Scale, how modern leaders build coaching cultures. I'm your host, Matt Benelli. Join me as we build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that effective coaching improves the performance of every team member. Our mission is to help leaders become better coaches. The Coach to Scale podcast is sponsored by Coachem, the world's first AI coaching execution platform that leverages evidence-based coaching to increase quota attainment. And with that, let's get started. All right, I'm excited to sit down with today's guest. You're in for a real treat. Uh, he's led and inspired at senior leadership positions at Salesforce, Fuse, InsideSales.com, and Yext. And today, he's the chief revenue officer at SalesLoft, a company that, that's doing amazing things in the space. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, Steve Goldberg, welcome to Coach to Scale. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love this topic, so I'm looking forward to the, the dialogue today. Awesome. And I'm uh, excited to talk to a, uh, a Boston guy who's now in Austin. My, my, yep. son, my son is following in your footsteps. He, he made that move as well. Um, all right. So, Steve, you've been doing this for a long time at, at different levels, very successfully. You've heard a lot of things. You've heard a lot of myths. What's a myth about uh, coaching salespeople or sales leadership that you believe is either misguided or perhaps even complete BS? You know, I'll, I'll take you back to like when I first started selling and the the concept of being a salesperson had a pretty negative connotation on it. Like when I was growing up yeah. and when I was growing up, I like didn't want to admit that I was a salesperson. I didn't want to, when people asked me what I did, I would, I just, I was, I did, I tried to like talk around it, but at the end of the day, what I realized what salespeople are is they're problem solvers. And, you know, they help your customers solve their own problems, but not only professionally, but personally, too, because, you know, some of the best relationships that I have in my career, and I'm fortunate enough to be at SalesLoft, where I'm reengaging with a lot of people I've worked with across sales any, in any place I've ever worked, is that you've, if you help customers solve problems and you're with them in the good times and the, and the tough times, you know, you be, those are relationships you have for life. And what's great to see is when you help a customer navigate around a problem and see them get promoted and see them get the benefits and see them grow their career. And, um, you know, it, it's just, to me, it's a myth that you're just trying to close a deal that you're going to drive by a customer at 65 miles per hour and throw software over to them and then go on to the next one. And I think that's a myth. And, um, and then I also strongly believe that there's such a changing, there's such a change going on in the market that, you have to realize like what got you there at one point of your career doesn't necessarily get you there at another part of your career. And you have to really truly have a growth mindset every step of the way to me, like you may have done things one way in the past, but a lot's changed in the market. A lot's changed in the macro economy. A lot's changed in, you know, the way people think about things, the way people buy, and you've got to have a growth mindset. And when you get coached, you've got to want to learn. You've got to want to take the information and do something about it. You know, there's so many people that coach just to check a box and say I was coached, but they don't consume it. They don't try things and they don't take it and they don't learn from it. They don't study. They don't train. Just like an athlete, like you're going to show up at a game. You may get lucky once, but if you're not, you don't have the endurance. If you don't have the practice, it's hard to get lucky twice. 
So, so Steve, when you talk about growth mindset, uh, you know, I know uh, for many years, uh, espoused the, the work that Carol Dweck did with her book, Growth Mindset, and there's the fixed mindset, there's the growth yeah. mindset. What yeah. does growth mindset mean to you? And can you maybe share an example with someone who's heard the term, but maybe doesn't even know specifically what it means in the context of how we're talking about it today? Yeah, I would say like a, a fixed mindset is like, I did this one way and this is how I'm going to do it. This is what I'm going to do. My mind's already made up. Like there's a concept of listening for, and there's a concept of listening against. So you could be talking to me, but I'm listening against what you say because my mind's already made up. I'm going to go down this path. I don't care. I might be showing you I'm listening to you, but I'm already going down this other path. So I'll, I'll show you that I'm listening to you, but I'm not really taking it in because I'm already set that this is the right way to do it. And a fix, a growth mindset is like, you're naturally curious. You want to learn. You want to consume. You're willing to try new things. Like I want to, like you're, you're willing to consume information and do something about it. And I call that listening for first listening against. And I'll tell you, it's a really hard thing to do. And in every conversation, you've got to be able to really listen for versus listen against. And my wife tells me this all the time. <laughs> like, I know you're not really paying attention to me, but listen to me for a second. And, um, and, and it's, it's really true. You got, I think you really truly have to be present in these conversations. You truly got to listen to what someone's truly really asking you and the coaching they're giving you and be open to change. Um, and just curious, uh, did your wife ever say, Steve, you're listening against right now? Does, does she use your words against you? Cause I don't know. That happens to me every once in a while. Of course. Of course. <laughs> it's like, well, what did I just say? Uh, so, you know? Yeah. You talked about, uh, you mentioned the, the phrase get, getting lucky once. Um, the opposite of that is being successful and sustained over time. How important is consistency in this business, whether it's coaching, whether it's selling, how important is consistency? I, I think consistency is, is probably one of the most important things. I got a couple, you know, a couple stories come to mind, but so when I was at Salesforce early in my career, uh, I was number two in the, in the world. My first, it was my first or second year there. And there's a guy named Joe Williams, still a really close friend of mine. And we were at Mark Benioff's house. And Mark Benioff was the founder and chairman and CEO at Salesforce. And we're at his house. We're doing an award ceremony at President's Club. And we're walking through the crowd. He was getting a, like, like the top award and I was with him. And, and as we're walking up, I'll never forget this. He turns to me and says, hey, you're here once. He was... And he's a very tenured salesperson. He's done really well in his career. He's been consistent every year. He's always there. And he goes, you can't get lucky twice. Let's see if you can get here next year. And I thought about what he said. And I, just, I remember we were walking through the crowd. And I said, well, how do I do that, Joe? How do I do that? How did you do it? And, and I think it's like the experiences you have. And this goes back to having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset is because I used to think being a salesperson was I was going to run at that wall as fast as I possibly can. And I would just be super aggressive and I would just eventually break the wall. Then I'd go through it. Success, success through brute force. Right. That's what I thought. That's what I thought the connotation of a seller was. And then, um, then I realized there's a door on the right that I can just walk through. If I learned from people and I thought about it and I was learning and I learned from great people 
and I was open to learn and open to incorporate. I studied, I trained, I was naturally just super curious. I was very interested in how do I do it. And so, um, you know, I think it's important that not, it's not only being a consistency in your selling motion, what you do, it's consistency, how you, you study, it's consistency, how you train, it's consistency, how you ask the right questions. It's consistency that you're naturally learning because you're doing that and you're doing, you take the right activities, you're eventually going to get the right results. And some people think salespeople are just lucky. Like the, the thing that drives me the most crazy, I can go down different paths, but it drives me most crazy when, when somebody has been successful and they're up on stage and they say, oh, that person did this because they got the CEO involved and he had a relationship with the other CEO or because, hey, they got the account at the right time. And, but I think it's because they got the CEO involved and because when they got the account at the right time, they actually did something with it and they navigated through it and they were prepared, they were organized and they were ready. Right. But can they do it twice is the question. Can they do it three times? So let's, let's talk about getting the CEO involved and, you know, you can insert CFO, COO, CRO, getting executives involved. Uh, a lot of folks that I work with, you know, I, I, I've been told and, or I get the sense that they're uh, shy, uh, almost, ashamed to ask for that type of help. They think they need to know every single thing about the deal. They need to have all the answers before they pull that executive in. You're at, you're at that executive level. You've pulled people like Mark Benioff involved, Mark Benioff in years ago. What, what's the importance of getting executives involved and asking for help in your deals? So one, you got to do it. You don't do it at the end of a deal when you're trying to throw a Hail Mary to win something. Right. You've got to have a strategy around how you're going to engage with a customer and you've got to bring the right executives in at the right time. You really got to match personalities and you never want your CEO to be your RVP. You don't want your C, you don't want to ever set your CEO up or your CRO or your CMO to close a deal. You want to bring them in to validate the company you work with and the vision that the company has and align the executives that they're betting on the right company. Hmm. But you don't just want to do it once. Executive sponsorship, a lot of people think exec sponsorship is, you know, coming in once and you're gone. Executive sponsorship, by the way, this is a customer journey. It's not just about closing the deal. Right. It's about getting there and helping make them successful. So you have consistent communication, going back to consistency, consistent communication with the executives and their executives throughout the whole customer journey way after the deal's closed. And, but when you do that, you've got to explain what I always like to do is when you're bringing an exec, what I like to know is what do we want the outcome of this conversation to be? Tell me what the business problems they're trying to solve are. Tell me what the person's personal win, professional win, and tell me like what their organizational structure is and understand more about the use case and what we're trying to solve. And, and then um, just give me the right background but it's also really important that you tee it up at the right time and you align the right execs at the right time. And, um, but you do it really consistently. And I think once you do that, because part of a salesperson's job is to sell as much internally within your own organization and externally within the customer organization, because you want to bring the company to the customer. You want to know what the cust you want the customer to know what your culture is. And you want to show them what your culture is of the company because they're buying into the company, especially when you're starting to do bigger deals. And so it's not, and don't just, all, and you also don't want to be multi-threaded, but there are other scenarios too when executives get involved. And I look at my job as a not untire. 
So my job is to untie knots. In deal reviews, in customer engagements, when knots are being created and like they need some help kind of untying a knot. Yep. So when you do our deal review process and we you know, have our pipeline reviews, like we spend a lot of our time really understanding where the knots are, where the obstacles are, and how to help bring the right people in to help untie those knots. Well, and, it, yeah, go ahead. It, it, it seems like exec, get, getting executives involved is a, a good example of where uh, frontline managers and salespeople in general, they're, they're, can, they can be coached. That's the type of thing that can be coached. And coaching seems a little bit of a, like a lost art. There's, there's a lot of talk about it, but yet there's a lot of leaders, there's a lot of managers that are struggling to do just that. What's your sense on why coaching is maybe a little bit too much of a lost art? You know, I, th- I like to do like scenario-based coaching. You know, I like to talk about a scenario and talk through a scenario and, and coach around a scenario. And, and I think sometimes like, I don't look, I think a lot of managers got promoted early when, you know, over the past, say, I don't know, seven to five to seven years, maybe in that time frame, they got promoted early. They were great salespeople. And they got promoted. They, they didn't really have the right coaching themselves in order to coach. And then all of a sudden take all the changes that and the headwinds that have been going on in the market. So now they have to be able to deal with a lot of change. And what they typically do is they gravitate towards the top sellers and they don't hang out with like the new sellers they're bringing in. They don't get them up to speed more. And so I do think that like companies need to really invest more into training and enabling managers on how to coach. Because when you tell them to coach, coaching is such a general term. So how do you coach in a manner that someone's going to consume that coaching? I also think the seller needs to be going back to the fixed mindset and growth mindset. They got to be able to consume the data and do something with it. But you have to coach in the moment. I feel like you got to like, like uh, you got to coach in the moment. You got to help them navigate through. And I, I like to coach around scenario driven scenarios. But um, I think when the combination of all those things, companies just need to spend more time on helping first line managers really truly navigate through change. And how to really, truly get more out of their team by, I believe, scenario planning around coaching. And, and how, how important is it for those managers to have street cred in order to be able to do that? Do they need to have done the exact job of, of the people that they're coaching, jobs, you know, roles that were similar? I mean, what's your take on that? So I have a pretty interesting take on this and, and some people may not, may not agree with me, but that's great. We'd love to call, you know, stir the pot a little bit. I'm going back to when the market was hot and everybody was hiring more street quota and they're putting more sellers on the street. That means they were putting more manager capacity on the street. And um, you hired great people that were good people managers at those times. Yep. And they were really good at managing people. And they might not have been the best salespeople. They may not have had that street cred, right? They may not have like been able to really truly, you know, go through that. And so they can't harder to leave in the front. But I think in a world that we're in today, you got to have both. Maybe it's not like you might not have done this exact job before, or you might not have been the top salesperson before. Look, like Larry Bird wasn't the best. Well, maybe he was a good coach. Michael Jordan wasn't the best coach. Um, but it doesn't mean like all the best salespeople are the best coaches. Um, but you know, I think now I do think managers need to a bit be more proactive and be able to kind of leave from the front. I think they have to have strong EQ. They got to be able to read a room. They got to be able to read a scenario. 
and and they got to be able to 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 show they got to be able to lead by example. I don't. I'm personally I, I view what we do as a team sport. Like I'm going to jump in and, and I'll jump into anything where anybody needs me as long as it's set up right. I think first line managers need to do that too. But I do think it shifted from the people that were great people managers. When you're working at a very big company, maybe you could be a better people manager. But when you're working at an emerging company that's growing, I think leading from the front and showing and leading by example is a very important thing to do, especially in a market like we're in today. And does that mean doing it, like rolling it, like get out of the way, let me show you how no. it's done? No, it doesn't mean that. It means you're going back to coaching. It means like, look, you're really going to do the discovery and you're going to you're end up having a big meeting coming up. You are going to really sit and dissect that meeting and make sure that all the homework, like big meetings, it's not what happens in the meeting that's the most important thing. It's what happens before the meeting and it's what happens after the meeting. That's right. So a good manager, a strong manager needs to be able to coach the seller on how to do all the right things before the meeting and after the meeting. And then during the meeting, they need to be able to control the meeting, manage the meeting. And I think the opposite, if a first line manager has to jump in and do the work for them, then one, the seller's not taking the coaching. They didn't do their job before and after the meeting and you may have a challenge. Now, if you see that happen multiple times, then you have a real problem. Because if the manager's taking it over and a lot of first time managers, as you know, become super reps. And that doesn't help the seller. You gotta let the seller you got to give them some rope. You got to let them do it themselves. You got to let them fail, but you got to see if they can learn from their failures, but you got to coach them along the way. And don't just acknowledge. I think a lot of managers acknowledge the seller didn't truly um, do the things you talked to them about, but are they just admiring that problem or are they actually coaching through it? I think a lot of people are afraid to have those tough conversations. And I loved what you said about the meeting. And I, you know, I was raised in the world where there were three parts of the meeting. There was the the meeting prep, there was the meeting itself, and there was the debrief. And it was three legs to the stool. If you didn't have one of them, you know, it it, it wasn't the, it wasn't the best meeting it, it could be. So um, I, I love the way you said that. Someone down in your neck of the woods, uh, who I believe uh, who you may be familiar with his work, Dr. Howard Dover. Um, we yeah. had a conversation, and he said something along the lines of. Manage, frontline management being a challenge because it's often viewed as, or maybe in practice it is, a stepping stone role, meaning somebody gets promoted. They get that battlefield promotion into sales because they had a great year, whether they got lucky or not. And now it's like, hey, you were a great rep. Uh, now you're a manager. Thoughts and prayers. Get after it. And then the manager, that frontline manager, their goal is to then move up as fast as they can. Right. This is a, a, a viewpoint. Um, how, how do you deal with that? I mean, how important is it for a manager to learn to coach, to learn to lead, to know their trade and demonstrate a track record of success before there's any expectation to move up in the organization? So when I was at, when I was graduating college, I was at a, a restaurant waiting for my parents to meet me and I was sitting next to this guy and he looks at me, he goes, you graduated in college? I'm like, yeah, I just, just graduated. He goes, I can give you one word of advice. It would be know your trade before you're ready to go to the next step and be in a good spot mentally and emotionally to go take that next step. So master what you do first. And I had no idea what he was talking about when he said that to me. But I thought, thought about this and, and I think to your point, like there's a lot of sellers that get to a point, they just want to go to management. They just think that's the right step to do. 
Um, but are they truly ready for it? Are they at the right point of their life to go into management? And I always ask these questions because I think in a way for me and what I've experienced when I've seen managers really kind of take that next step and do really well is when their mindset changes. Because being an enterprise salesperson with a great company with a good territory is the best job in the world. There's no better job. Um, and so, but everyone wants to hurry out of it because they just think that's naturally what they need to do because maybe they're getting a little bit older. But I truly think for an example, like when I started having kids, when I got married, my mindset changed. Then when I started having kids, my mindset changed again. I had to think for other people. And that's when I moved into management. When I was, I was, I, I fought it, kicking and screaming. But I moved into management because I was thinking differently. You go from catching the ball in the end zone to being on the sidelines, you know, coaching the team to eventually being in the press box, kind of architecting and designing it to figuring out what players you want to bring onto the field and building all the structure around that. I just personally think you got to be naturally ready for it. And what I've seen is there's so many people that want to hurry so fast out of that first line to go to second line just to get the title, maybe to get the next job. And I do think it's really important that if you're, you get promoted from a seller to a manager at the company you're with, because you know, the product, you know, the capabilities, you know, how to navigate around your own company. And then same thing, when you go to a first line, second line, do it within the company you're with because you're really going to know what the difference is. Like a lot of people don't know when you go from first, like when I was a second line manager, I spent a lot of my time kind of architecting and designing process, but in with a customer situation, I spent a lot of my time like within procurement and within some of the executives. And like, I look at the seller's jobs to take it to the 20 yard line, man, manager's job is to coach them through it. RVP's job is to take it either over the goal line, through the goal line, or figure out where the AVP is going to come in. Because a lot of companies, they don't know what the AVP, the, sec, the second line's role is versus the first line's role. And there's a lot of miscommunication around that. And um, But there's so many people that just go on like a literally a selling campaign to get that title. And I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I think you got to have a point in time in your career where you're ready for it. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being a first line manager your entire career. Yeah. People have nothing wrong with being a salesperson your entire career. You know, and I think I've seen people make the mistake and not work out. And everybody wants that CRO title too. That's another thing. They want that CRO title, just to have the title. When they get there, they're like, what did I sign myself up for? Because it's hard. It's very different than, than everyone expects it to be, but they want the title. And uh, I'll tell you, you got to be ready for it. And I think if you know you can do the job more effectively. My mother always said, be careful what you ask for. You might get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, uh, I've heard you say in the past, just when we were talking in another right. conversation that bad news doesn't get better with age. And I just, I wrote those, that phrase down in my notes because there's a lot of bad news in, in sales. Even the, the best salesperson in the world, he or she's going to hear no more than they hear yes. Uh, there's going to be bad news, but it seems like a lot of the challenges, especially when it comes to uh, you know, n- not mending a relationship that's strained um, or you know, forecasting accurately, a lot of it's because of a w- unwillingness or a fear of sharing bad news. What's your take on that? Um, you know, one is you're going to win and lose a deal many, many times before you win the deal. And if, if you wait to share bad news, then nobody could do anything about it to help you. And it's really important that when you get good or bad news, everyone always wants to share the good news. 
But right. a first line manager's job, by the way, is to also figure out is the good news really good news or is it like let's let's kind of dissect that a little bit. And that's a coaching moment too. Because sellers have happy years and managers have happy years and you gotta you gotta you know navigate through that. But I actually think one of the worst things somebody could do is wait to give the bad news because eventually they're going to have to give it. And if you wait too long, there's nothing you can do about it. And it going back to untying knots and strategizing and team sport and bringing people together. But if you wait too long, it's too long. And it's like, not like wine. It doesn't get better. It doesn't improve. You can't just like acknowledge it. And, and quite frankly, there's nothing worse than being surprised. Yep. Nothing worse than being surprised. Amen to that. What What are your thoughts? What What can a manager do uh, to create an environment where sharing the bad news early is celebrated, not something to be feared? Well, one is, I mean, they they gotta they gotta create an environment that they the, the person feels safe to share news. Now, like, look, I grew up in an environment where, like, you know, I'd be on forecast calls and pipeline calls, and there was a lot of screaming and yelling, and you know, if you didn't show up prepared, then you might not get invited back to the second one. And so, you know, you got to be able to just give direct feedback. And so I think a manager, the managers need to be able to understand, like one, they got to have a, a, be able to communicate with their teams and they got to be able to pull information from their, their, whether it's a salesperson to really understand. Like I, I never like, like yes or no answers when I'm, when I'm, getting feedback from a meeting. It's more like, Hey, tell me what's going on. Let's talk a little about the situation. Like help me understand, like use those words verse. So how'd the meeting go? Great. What did you like? Like, what did you talk about? Um, what was the person's response to that? Like more like, just tell me, like let the seller kind of explain. But I also think there's a lot of first line managers and second line managers that, that all, that also do that. And they, and the, the second line and third lines, they need to be able to ask the right questions. Mm. And then not surprise you all the way up the chain because it's, it's like in my role, like I'm setting the expectations with the CEO and the board. Right. And, you know, it's my job also to be able to, to wheel out of that out. And, and it, it's just when you surprise people too late, one, there's nothing you can do about it. And two, it just sets the wrong expectation across the entire organization. Yeah. And also it impacts your customer relationships because then sometimes the worst part about it was when most people do that, it forces people to do some unnatural things with a customer. And when you have to do an unnatural thing with a customer, the customer relationship gets impacted. And that's what happens when you give bad news. If you look at it from the customer's perspective, because then you got your CEO or whoever calling into that customer trying to save something, it's never good. It's well, never good for the relationship. What, what do you mean by like an unnatural thing with a customer? What would be an example? Like, um, so you're at the end of the quarter. Mm -hmm. And like as much as people as say they don't like to do this, like you never you never want to do this. And we actually stop. We don't. I, I've never liked to do this. I never like to have any take it or leave it in in conversations. But I've seen people do it sometimes when they're forced up against a wall where they're like they don't want to. Like they get bad news like a week and it already happened and they're calling the customer and they're trying to do like what if situations or like what if we throw this in? Let's do a better deal. Let's do that. Like, and it's just unnatural. Like they're not ready to consume the information. And if you have the conversation early, then at least it's kind of still warm or you can have a conversation and just unwind it a little bit to understand what happened and understand what the, what the why is behind the bad news. And a lot of people, when they wait, then people come in 
and you get the bad news like a week later, but you're truly not getting the real story. So the worst thing that can happen is not just bad news travels late, but if you're not being honest with what the conversation was and what the real issue was, then you have an executive. You talked about how to bring executives in a conversation. Then you have an executive going in talking to a customer with the wrong information. Yeah. And that never sets anyone up to be good. It impacts the entire customer relationship, but also impacts your relationship individually with that customer. And internally, because that's a that's a surprise. And right. uh, yeah, you don't want the surprise going in there. Um so be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Um so switching gears a little bit, and I, I was looking forward to hearing your take on this question because this is your world, this is your space. Yeah. Um, right. the, talking about uh, the, the tech stack, yeah. you know, I, uh, I I talk to a lot of uh, leaders. I know you certainly talk to a lot of leaders who've invested a lot of money in in sales and marketing tools over the past several years, who are concerned that they're not getting the value out of that, those investments. You also talk to people who are getting an incredible ROI on their sales tools. What's the difference? What, what's the, the secret sauce to get, get deriving value and an ROI from the investments that are made in technology? Well, well one is a lot of companies have bought a bunch of capabilities and silos. And what it does is it like you might have like one-off capabilities that don't, they're kind of separate. So sellers are kind of going everywhere for information. Managers are going everywhere for information. And, you know, it's really important to look at your tech stack holistically and assess like, are there areas where you can consolidate? Are there areas that you can integrate and make sure what you're doing takes the perspective of how am I going to help the salesperson and the first line managers day? And look at truly today and integrate with how they work and, but bring it together. So you're bringing a process together and you're integrating workflow into how they work. And, and then you also integrate other components of the tech stack into their day to give them insights so they can be much more smarter about how they engage with their customers. And that's where the world is going. And that's our view on the world. We just rolled out rhythm and what rhythm is, is it integrates insights to the seller and to the manager so they can be more productive and smarter around the, how they're going to interact with their customers. And so they can have more productive conversations with their customers. Uh, more productive conversations with their customers. And I mentioned right before we got on that uh, my son is a, is, is an AE um, down in Austin. And, and he, when he knew I was talking to, he started talking about rhythm, his eyes kind of lit up and how it's helping him. He, you know, it's new they're figuring it out and you know, it's how it's helping them um, work better with yeah. their, with their customers. Um, is this, are we, where, when you talk about where it's going, um, are these tools more about efficiency or more about effectiveness or, or both? How, how should we be thinking about that? And is there a trend toward one or the other? So I, I think like, if you just look at, just going back to your tech stack conversation, like a lot of companies have now spent a lot of money on CRM systems. And truly when you dissect what a CRM system does, it gives you a profile of a customer, a person, an account. But it wasn't really designed to drive productivity for a salesperson. But you, it's, it's very, very important in the sales tech stack because you have to have a structured way that you can look at a customer and account and opportunity across multiple places. 
And then if you start to look at, um, you know, how do you now kind of take that information and so the seller's not having to put all that information in subjectively, like what's their opinion, what's their perspective of this? So what's happening now in the market is that by integrating with how salespeople work, you're taking all that administration capabilities away from them, but you're also gonna to start to give them insights from all these other places. They can be on your website. You might send them an email. You might send them a DocuSign. You may send them a video. You may send them uh, some content either through like, you know, Seismic or, you know, other, other means and they might click on it. And so you're interacting with the customer at the right time, but all that objective information is getting into the CRM system, mm -hmm. but it's also getting into your pipeline and your forecasting. And a lot of companies now put, want to put like, you got companies that do forecasting, but the problem with forecasting right now, like capabilities out there, it's very subjective data. And it's like what somebody says, so how do you get the sentiment of that? But also how do you get the objective data in there? So you can truly see what the trending information is telling you about the pipeline and the forecast so you can make smarter decisions. But the most important piece is you got to integrate that into how sellers work. And the objective is, is to drive pipeline. It's to drive more qualified opportunities. It's to drive your sales process and make sure your sales process is consistent. That you don't have like every first line manager doing something different. Like if you're running a med pick framework, you want to make sure that process gets really driven consistently around the process. Because if you have it and you're doing it subjectively, it's someone's opinion. And so it's really important that you want to drive consistency, but there's many different scenarios. You could be driving, you know, cross sell, upsells opportunities in your customer base. You can be driving renewals. You can be driving expansion. You can be driving net new logos. So it's got to have a business outcome you're tracking it towards, but it all has to be integrated together, working together to drive to a specific outcome. And if and you look, oh, go ahead, sorry. If you, look, if you look at that through the lens of the, the ultimate customer, how does that help them? Because customers are more educated now than ever. Like they, they know more about the market than most salespeople do, than most companies. Like they're researching everything. They're smarter. So you've got to add value to their day. You've got to know when to communicate them with what message and you got to meet them where they're at. So, you know, the, the, the salespeople that are more prescriptive, and more engaging at the right time and more thoughtful, you know, people do still buy from people. As much as people think that AI is going to take over the world at the end of the day, people still do buy from people. I had a customer tell me yesterday, she, she didn't buy something from a company because she just didn't like the salesperson. Yeah. I've heard that. They didn't feel right about them. And that happens. It happens a lot. So by giving sellers insights, they're going to be, more insightful around how they communicate with the customer at the right time. And it's going to be a much better experience for that customer. The first call pitch I think is purpose is really done. I think it's more about, they already know that meet them where they're at, focus on their problems, help them understand how a lot of people focus on the, what help them understand how you're going to make them successful and make sure you got the right infrastructure and support staff in place to do that. So many people focus on like companies know how to evaluate. Like great companies, every company knows how to evaluate. I'm going to pick you over you. They got to that point. What they struggle with is how am I going to navigate through all that to buy? Mm -hmm. How am I going to make sure I got the right architecture, integration architecture, support team structure to be successful? They forget about that piece until it's too late. And that's where I think sellers need to be really prescriptive around how they're going to help them through that entire customer journey to show them how they're going to get to that outcome. 
and then make sure it happens. I, I love that focusing on how you're going to help them versus the what. I think if more sellers took that approach, it, it would prevent them from jumping right to the demo or certainly when they do the demo, it wouldn't be just the generic Harbor cruise demo it would be like, hey, here's how our solution can, can help you. Right. What you're talking about, you know, what we've talked about is just an evolution of change in this business. And, you know, the, the, uh, the old uh, cliche, the only thing constant is change. Um, the, this environment, this market seems to be changing super fast. Do leaders have a firm grasp on, on what's coming next? <laughs> I don't think they do. Um, you know, I think a lot, personally, I strongly believe, I mean, my, the benefit I've, I've always been in CRM sales tech, marketing tech stack, and a lot of business processes and sales processes are designed around scale and growth. Yeah. Now they got to change that to design these processes around scale and growth, but also operational efficiency and consistency. And people are changing a lot of their processes right now. And you've got to have the right expectations with the board because when you're going through change, a lot of, a lot of what I see is they want you to go through the change, but the people process of change is more important than the change itself. I personally think because there is the planning of change. There is the actual change. And then there's the post change and there's a learning curve. You may be on this, this learning curve, but you're over here because you know about all the change. You got to bring people along through that change. And a lot of that change is based on process. And when you're changing that process, the next step is the systems. And then the third step are the people and making sure that you have the right profile of a person in the world you're, you're going towards. Like us ourselves, we went from selling a, we went, we, we went from selling a product to one use case to a platform with multiple use cases. And uh, it's a different, it's a, it's a different journey. It's a completely different journey. How different are the skills are the, how deep is the change going to be? Are the people that have been successful for, let's say the last five plus years, 10 years, uh, how much are they going to have to evolve and change to be successful over the next 10 or 20 years? So, so th this goes back to the first question you asked me. Do they have a growth mindset or do they have a fixed mindset? Mm -hmm. Because if you go from selling a product to one use case, a capability to a platform and you're solving problems around multiple use cases, is the person who was successful the last five years, are they open to enabling themselves and thinking differently and doing the work to study, to learn, to change, to actually adopt to the new process you're rolling out, but also the new capabilities around, you might be super comfortable selling. For an example, we start out selling one plat one product SDRs, shifting to a, a workflow across all the revenue lifecycle around many, many capabilities in a platform. Are they, are people going to be comfortable to make that change from one product to a platform? It is a different sell. It is a different skill set. And you got to learn and change and study. And so you got to look for when you're looking for people that you want to look for people in this new world that understand what it's like to truly sell a platform to a business, to be creative enough to help, to help them and to do the discovery, to understand the problems. because so you're creating a bit of a market and it's a different skill set, different mindset. So you have to look at it that way. And, and look, I think there's a lot of consolidation going on in the market. Like you're consolidating a number of platforms on one platform. Now yeah. it's a different way of thinking. 
you got to sell to IT and the business. You got to sell to multiple levels in the organization. And are people able to make that transition? And I think a lot of comp- a lot of people, they might have the, in- the interest, but they don't have the growth mindset to make that change. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Actions, not words. So Steve, you're the CRO at Sales Loft. You've been doing that for a while now. We got a couple of questions. First of all, can you tell the audience that, that some who may not know, what does Sales Loft do and what do you love about what you're yeah. doing and leading that team? Yeah. So we're a workflow platform that, you know, really integrates with how sellers and first line managers work. So, so sellers could be more productive. They can, managers can be smarter on the insights they're coaching. And really what we're doing is we bring insights into the selling process. So sellers can be much more intentful on how they communicate with their customers. And at the end of the day, it's all about how do you drive more pipeline? How do you drive more, more, more qualified pipeline? And how do you, you know, drive more revenue for the organization in a very consistent manner? And, um, what I love about it is I've got incredible opportunity. There's nothing better to me than I love coaching salespeople on how to improve their careers and grow their self and watch them grow and watch them be successful. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, but the other thing is, is I grew up in this world. I grew up, there's nothing better than selling a platform that adds real value to your customer base, to your friends, to people you've worked with for many, many years. Yeah. And, and one is because we know it works and we know it adds a lot of value for them. And I'm selling to people and I'm community. And, and again, selling, it's not a negative connotation. You know, I'm helping That's our, right. our customers solve real problems that benefit them and help them like in their board meetings, talk about the value they're creating and helps them in their career. And I, there's nothing better than, than, you know, hang, than hanging out with people and, working with people that you love to be around and that you've had lifelong relationships with. Yeah, no, I, I've had that privilege over the past 10 years and, and can honestly say it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like work most of the time, most of the time. Uh, see, sales Loft uh, released a report um, on AI, the state of AI in sales. And it, that report talked about AI driven solutions and how it's, expected to take over routine tasks wow. in recent years. And that freaks a lot of people out, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what's AI not going to replace? What's it, what's it going to do? What's it not going to do? And you know, how should sellers look at this? Should it be, should they fear it? Should they embrace it? What do you think? Cause people are freaking out about this and they have different points of view. All right. I mean, I'm going to take it back to the beginning part of our conversation is like, look, markets are changing. You can have a fixed mindset and not change with it and be afraid of it. Have a growth mindset and figure out how it's going to help you. Our perspective on this is that our perspective on this is that you're always going to need salespeople. And our goal is to make salespeople smarter so that their customers can have a better experience with them. And you're always going to, and it's going to learn over time, kind of how Netflix works. Like if you and I were watching Netflix, you're going to start watching your shows. I'll watch my shows. It's going to start to recommend things for me the same way. It's going to recommend different things for you. So as you use the platform, it's going to learn, it's going to get smarter. It's going to recommend things. It's going to benefit everybody. And so our view on the world is that it's going to make you more insightful and more intelligent and bring insights to you, not take away your job. That's our view. And I think, it, but sellers need to, to embrace it. And um, yeah, I mean, there are going to be, 
some industries out there that, you know, look at are there's like, are there certain tasks that they can automate? But you have to embrace that. Like, don't don't shy away from it. Learn from it. Embrace it. And um, and take advantage of, of this incredible opportunity to leverage all this new great technology to get more to get smarter. Yeah, I, I go back to you got to have a growth mindset around these things. You're not going to stop it. Yeah, the bus is the bus is uh, full speed ahead. Get on the bus, or you're or you're you'll be under the bus. Um, right. To- totally, totally get that. You touched on this a little bit, but what you just said about embracing it, you know, that's those are new skills, right? You have to have that growth mindset and be curious to go out and figure out how to embrace those new skills and apply them uh, to further master your trade, as you mentioned earlier. From a management perspective, the frontline manager, he or she's hiring people. Does this change how they approach hiring, how they look at it, what type of skills uh, and attributes someone needs to have before they bring them on board? Um, I don't, I guess kind of in a way, like I think you've got to first identify like what is the profile of a skill set you're looking for. And what we do is we have a pretty, like I talked a little bit about how we look at things and what we look for and we look for salespeople that are going to do discovery and they're going to learn and they're going to understand the customer. And they're, and w- the way we do our interview process is that we do, we, they have to do a discovery call and they've got to come back and they got to share their discovery with, with uh, the manager, the hiring manager, but then we do a top grade. And what we look for in the interview process is everybody who comes here does a top grade and then they go through our core values. And what the top grade does is it you you essentially walk us through your life. You walk us through the decisions you made when you were in high school, when you were in college, when you graduated college. You know, why did you go to this school versus other school? Why did you stop playing this sport and not play this sport? Why did you move to this part of the country and not this and move away? And what we look for is consistencies and behaviors that we can start to see trends. And so when you look at that, then you can start to see, like, based on decisions that people have made through their career or their life, are they going to be able to adapt to technology like this? Are they going to have a growth mindset, a fixed mindset? And and I think you got to, like, step back and say, not go right to, all right, like, ask questions like how you're going to adapt to it. But I think you got to look for trends of the people you're bringing in, the culture you have as a company, have an interview process that aligns to that. So you can bring in people, I was a psychology major, so I think like psychology is so important that you can bring people in that you know, have the right mindset at the right time, at the right time. Because you could be great yesterday, it doesn't mean you're gonna be great today. You can be great selling a product, but are you gonna be great selling a platform? And a lot of people have different things going on in their life. And you know, you just, you have to be ready for the role you're, you're hiring, you're, you're being hired into. And you may not be, but I think you gotta have an interview process that actually not only an interview process, but when they get there, you've got to have an accountability process and make sure you set the right expectations in the interview process. And you've got to have an accountability and a coaching process when they get here and really help the performance around that person really performance manage effectively. Hmm. Yeah. Interview process and then an accountability process, like you said, coaching, coach them up, onboard them, right? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't end. Um, Steve, You've you've told a few stories. Uh, I'd be interested to know what's a hard lesson you learned along the way in your career. Just 
something that just kind of grabbed you and you're like, Oh, wish I learned that lesson a little bit earlier. Yeah. It's funny. Like I remember when I was playing baseball in college and I heard one of my coach says, man, if I knew now what I knew then, um, I, I could have done a lot different. And, you know, I don't ever really think about it like that. I think about it like, so I had a baseball coach who every time I swung the bat, he'd whistle. He was a third base coach. He'd whistle at me. He'd be like, and he'd, I'd look at him and be like, put your elbow down, put your elbow up. Like, like I was, the way I was swinging the bat, it, it, uh, and it didn't work for me because then all of a sudden I'm squeezing the bat too tight at the plate yeah. and I'm trying to do exactly what he said, like in the moment of time. And then, then I had a different coach who was, who was, let me be myself. Let me be flexible. Let me kind of be the way I, I am and help coach me to my strengths. And he collaborated with me on my weaknesses. And so what I've learned through the years is that um, I've learned probably the most from managers that kind of told me what to do and they tried to make me do it their way. And I've never taken that approach. Yeah. That's just never worked for me. So what I always try to do is I try to coach people to their strengths and not come down to them on their weaknesses and not make them be like me. I want to like everyone, the one minute manager is the greatest book because you've got to manage people to them. You got to manage people to their strengths and everyone has a different personality. And um, when I was another thing I learned when I was a first line manager for the first time, I'm the biggest mistake I made is I hired, I'll tell you one other mistake. I hired everybody like all cleanup hitters. All people that were going to swing for the fences. Yeah. When I realized that I was an RVP with the highest quota because I hired all the most senior people. And it's like on a baseball field, you got to hire, you got to hire a leadoff hitter, a number two hitter, number three hitter, a cleanup hitter. So you're going to have people hitting singles and doubles and triples and home runs. And, but everyone's going to have a different personality. So you got to hire them to their self as a, as a role and my role. Now, I think the biggest mistake that I made was I think you never build an org around a person. And I think a lot of people sometimes build orgs around people, not build orgs around process and strategy. And I think that's a, b a big mistake that people people do make. It, you know, you hear these comments about this athlete or that athlete, this quarterback. Oh, he's a system quarterback. Um, I used to think that that was a bad thing. And then, you know, until I was building and leading teams. Now when I hear somebody's a system quarterback, I'm like, that's a pretty damn good thing. That's a good system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you, you talked about the baseball coach, you know, the, the ones that helped, you know, and the ones that didn't who told you, Hey, hold, put your elbow here, hold the bat this way. How about just in, in, in your sales and your professional selling career, you know, coaching management, talk, talk about someone who provided you really good coaching, someone who had an impact on you. Dave Vernitsky is the one who probably taught me the most. And if anyone knows Dave, Dave Renitsky, he, he actually had a chapter in Mark Benioff's book, How to Sell Behind the Cloud. And he just demanded, like, it wasn't like he demanded, but he got the best out of you. And like, you never knew if you were going to talk to him and you were going to yell at for something, but you always had to be prepared. Like you had to be prepared. You had to be structured. You had to be organized. You had to be prescriptive. And then you had conversations where you had some incredible coaching moments and he was never afraid to basically to tell you what you did and what you did wrong. Mm -hmm. And 
um, he's, there's so many things that he taught me, not only in my personal life, my professional life, but also in my personal life. And one thing specifically, I was never anyone that like wanted to like, you know, I, I was here to do my job and I give me, you know, let me do that. And I was very focused at that. But he, what he taught me was that, you know, you have to be part of the culture of the company. You've got to be integrated and you've got to get to know people across the entire company. And I remember one time we were at our revenue kickoff at a previous company. And I ended up, uh, we were supposed to have this big dinner with a lot of people. And I ended up going to a smaller dinner with just a small amount of people. And in the morning, I'm going down the elevator escalator to, uh, or going up the escalator to RKO for the session. And he's standing up there and he's mad. He's looking at me and I'm like, uh Oh, this is not going to be good. I'm thinking about, was there a deal that didn't happen? Right. Was there, and he's like, what are you doing? Why didn't you go to this dinner last night? Like the expectation was that you need to come to this dinner. You need to show up. You need to get to know all these other people and you need to be involved in a part of the company. And I thought, well, I went to dinner, but he's like, no, no, no. You need to go to this dinner and you need to kind of be part of this in the role you're in right now. And it, just little lessons like that. He taught me, which are just really, really meaningful because he would always tell me my biggest strength is my biggest weakness, which is focus. Sometimes I get just too focused and I'm not like stepping back and like just yeah. looking at the big picture. And, you know, he's just someone that just helped me through so many different things. And I talk to him all the time. Like I'm like, if I ever have to tie a knot in my head, I'll call him up and I'll just call him. And I think, I think it's important for anybody. I've got like 15 people that I call at various parts of my week. Just if I've got a certain knot in my head that I want them to untie, yeah. I'll go to like Dave Renitsky for this. I'll go to Patrick Blair for this. I'll go to Jim Steele for this. You know, I'll go to Les Retchen for this. I'll go to, you know, on and on and on. And I think it's really important if I can give any advice to, you know, anyone who's listening to this is you got to have mentors, but you got to want to be mentored. And like, I wouldn't, if you ask them, like, would they consider me my, they're my mentor? They'd probably say I bug them all the time and I'm calling them all the time and asking them stuff. But I think they appreciate it because I take that information, I consume it and I do something with it. There's a lot of people that I mentor that I talk to and the ones that I want to mentor are the ones that come to me all the time that take the information and consume it and they do something with it. And I think that's an important trait to have because that's how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to have a growth mindset. So Steve, as a mentor, how important is it, if at all, but how, how important might it be to not only take action uh, for the person you're mentoring to take action and apply what, what you're helping them with, but then also to keep you in the loop at some point in terms of what they're doing so that, you actually Super. know that the time you spent this actually they're doing something with it. Yeah. I mean, it's super important. Like you want to know, and that that's the other piece is follow back up and say, Hey, I appreciate your advice. Here's what I did. And here's what I learned from it. Cause then I'm going to want to, you're going to like, you're, I'm going to want to keep helping you. Yeah. I want to want to keep learning. You know, like that's, and I think that's extremely important is like, cause you, you know, you you want to come back and say, Hey, thank you. This helped. Yeah. Or by the way, this didn't, but, but it did. I, I do think that's important. And I, I just think you got to do it. And, um, and you're never really, yeah, the first part of the conversation, they might be doing something and you're never really bothering them. You know, you're, you, you kind of are sometimes, but you can't be afraid of that. Like you got to, and that's why you got to thank them because they're spending their time when they can be doing other things, helping you. And you got to come back full circle and tell them, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. This is what I learned from that experience. Cause then they're going to want to take the next time the call the next time you call them. That's powerful stuff right there. Uh, Steve, 
little different turn here. You know, there's a, a lot of stories I'm sure with, uh, with your friends, with your mentors, you sit around, you, you talk about stories from the past and how different or crazy things may have been. What's a story from the past that you're willing to share that people new to the business would kind of shake their head and say, nah, that couldn't have happened. Hmm. Man. Um, I had a couple of them, but, uh, <laughs> so, so one story happened to me when I was, uh, I was, this, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say the name of the company I was at. It actually doesn't matter, but I was at, I was selling to a, a, a customer and I used to like have a badge to get in this company. And part of like when you're selling big deals, big companies, like yep. one of the things you want to do is you want to get a badge because that means you're in and you can just walk through everything and you got to help. They got to trust you enough to give you a badge. Well, they gave me a badge, but I left it at my house. And so we had a really big meeting this one point. It was like end of the quarter, really big meeting. And I didn't have a badge. So what I would do is I tried to walk in the door that all the employees walked in. And uh, as I was walking in, someone, the, the person who had the, the door in front of me looks at me and he goes, do you have a badge? I'm like, I do, but I don't have it with me. I left it at home. I swear I have a badge. And, and he said, well, I can't let you in. You don't have a badge. And I was like, okay, I get it. I'll go around and I'll, I'll navigate through that way. And so I go around, I get in there and I, I walk into the meeting and this person was the decision maker in the room in the meeting. And he's like, why didn't you just tell me who you were? And I was like, I was just focused on someone else. I apologize. Like I, it was just like a pretty awkward situation where I'm like, all right. Um, it was a really uncomfortable situation, which actually turned into a pretty good situation. And I just, that's one that came top of mind was, uh, I was, uh, I had to kind of work my way out of that for a little bit. And I'm sure he's telling the story too, very differently. Well, yeah, that's, that's what makes a good story when someone else is telling it and, uh, you know, in a, in a different way. Um, well, Steve, listen, I, I really appreciate the, the time. Um, there's a ton of nuggets from this conversation that I, that I hope people will take. We heard things like uh, listening for versus listening against fixed mindset versus a, you know, a more helpful growth mindset, the importance of getting bad news early. Um, and just the, the, the dynamic, uh, the change that's coming and the importance of embracing the technology and leveraging it to, to your advantage. Um, any, any final thoughts for people who are listening out there? Yeah, I would say embrace the change. Embrace the change. Don't be afraid of it. Go, go, go and, and learn and go and, and study. And like, this is like this, this is the, we're going to be in the world we're in right now for a long time. Like you have to go and do the effort, study, train and learn. And if you don't do that, you're going to get left behind. If you do do that, you will be consistently in the top five to 10 every single year. And you'll be able to naturally move throughout your career and do it at the right time. Know your trade. Know your do trade. It when you're ready. You, you yeah. mentioned it earlier, Steve, like train, train like an athlete, you know, that whoever your favorite, you know, top athlete is, if you think about how that person trains, you know, look at your training in, in preparation. Is it remotely close to that? Because yeah. at the end of the day, we're all professionals, right? Yeah. And I would, I would say just one last thing is like, have, have like an outlet, like my outlet, you know, what people would think is crazy about me. I do yoga a lot. Like I, I incorporate yoga into my day every single day I possibly can. And it's my outlet. Like I will be on the phone until I walk into that studio and I'm on the phone right when I leave. 
But when I'm on that mat, it's my time that I'm not thinking about anything else besides what I'm doing. And it's my outlet. I think it's really important that you've got to have an outlet. You've got to have something to just relieve yourself of a lot of stress and not be able to think. And you got to have that outlet. It's it's really, really healthy to have that. And a lot of business leaders that I see that are just going, 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 and they don't stop to think. Someone gave me that advice a while, stop to think, but have that outlet, have that outlet for you. Really whatever important. whatever it is, right? A- yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, Steve, thanks so much for investing your time with us today. Yeah, for having me. All right. And, uh, to, and, and, and to our Coach to Scale community, if you're tuning in and you've made it this far, first of all, thanks for listening. Secondly, it would mean a lot if you could engage wherever you're consuming your podcast. Uh, you know, like it, write a note. What do you like? What do you want to see or hear more of? That's how the show grows. And that's how we can provide better content and information over to you. And so again, Steve, thank you. Um, And with that, it's been a pleasure to host this conversation on behalf of Coach to Scale. And until the next time, coach them if you want to keep them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Coach to Scale, How Modern Leaders Build Coaching Cultures. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at coachem.io. That's C-O-A-C-H-E-M dot I-O. And follow us on Twitter at Coachem Now. See you all next week. Thanks for joining. And remember, coach them if you want to keep them.